All right. You guys doing good tonight? You're always doing good. <laughs> All right. Oh, it's great. Sterling, thanks. Where's Sterling at? Thanks, brother, for that word. I love that verse. Or verses, I should say. I love that he cast our sins into the deepest of the ocean, man. I love that. And God is faithful. I love singing that song. So you guys doing good tonight, right? We must not have too many Dodger fans here. I see Dodger right there. All right, there you go. We're still leading three nothing, so. <laughs> All right, good. All right, well, man, does this seem loud tonight? Yeah, no? Jeff's not saying nothing. It's, it's okay? All right. All right, that's good. I like hearing that. Well, good. I'm looking forward to get in and get into the teaching tonight. Uh, the Book of Romans. You guys enjoying the Book of Romans? I hope so. I taught through this book about 22 years ago, maybe before some of you were born. I don't know. But it's a great book. I love this book. I'm glad we're going through it. And uh, it's full of doctrinal and practical things. Paul the Apostle loved the church, loved the church with all his whole heart. He loved the bride of Christ, as you were talking about, Pastor. And he wanted to do everything he possibly could for the church. He wanted to visit this church. He had never visited this church before, ever. This church, you know, I don't know. I, I didn't listen to any of the other teachings, and I kind of want to stay away from that so I can kind of just go with what God's given me. But, you know, this church, they think it was probably started from the day of Pentecost, and that somebody there got saved, gave their life to Christ, maybe a group of them, went on back to Rome because this was Jerusalem where the day of Pentecost happened and a church just started up and it was growing. This church's membership was mostly Gentiles. It wasn't like most of the other churches in the area where there was a, mostly Jewish people. It was Gentiles, just like you and I. But Paul really, really loved the church. And in this book, there's so many good things. We're gonna learn about the righteousness of God coming up pretty soon. How do we get right with God? That's what righteousness means, being right with God. How does that happen? Do you have to earn it? What do you do to get right with God? Paul wants the church and he wants us to know that you don't have to earn it. And he'll talk more about that as we continue through this. Great doctrines of, of justification and sanctification. He talks in chapter seven and eight about the struggle of sin. We all got sin, right? We all struggle with it. He talks about the struggle in chapter 7, so you better be here for that week. And then in chapter 8, he'll begin to say how you, how you work with that, that the Spirit of God is so important for us to have in our life if we're going to beat that struggle with sin that you and I have. And the subject of sin is here. We're going to talk more about it tonight. I think a while back ago, I'm pretty sure it was Jeremy that had that great section talking about all the different kinds of sins and and the behavior and the things that went on. You know, when I look at that list, I see myself there. I was there. And there's still things in my life that kind of match up with those things. It's the sinfulness of mankind. It's that original scene, that sin, it, it, it has passed from Adam all the way to us. We're stuck with it, guys. We really, really are. And it's unfortunate. One day, though, one day, we won't have to deal with that anymore. Thank God for that. 
Sin will be done away with. Sin and death will be swallowed up. We won't have to deal with that. I really believe that the book of Romans can help us as Christians to live Christ-like in this non-Christian world we live in. That's the world we live in. It's a non-Christian world. And as I'm an older guy and I've been saved for a few years, I'm seeing that America is really almost post-Christian in our culture. It's frightening. It really is. That's the direction that we're headed for. It's not the same. The Christian culture, the things that we believe, those things that are so important to us, the, the world is just shoving those things away and they don't want anything to do with it. But I think the book of Romans can really help us through this. It's getting harder and harder. Harder and harder to follow after Christ. So many things are pulling at us as Christians. Everything is coming at us. I was thinking about as I was preparing this that you know, the world system and Satan has infiltrated every area of society, every area of our culture, every area, education, entertainment, even our homes. It's frightening. But that's what sin does. It permeates into our life and into the life of the world that you and I are living in. I like what Paul said in uh, chapter one about the Romans' faith. He said that their faith was heard throughout the world. Was heard throughout the world. Not how many people there were going to church at the church at Rome. You know, I used to go to pastor conferences and it was, it was terrible. Some pastors, they just wanted to know how many people you got in your church. But it was their faith. It's their faith and what was happening in that church, people were talking about all over the place. That's what we want to happen here at Journey the Church, don't we? We want that. We definitely want that. Tonight, as we look in chapter two, it's all about God judging sin. And I want to say this one thing, and this is kind of the title. My title for tonight is God has given every human a conscience, and he truly has done that. He's done that. We're created in God's likeness, and God has given us a basic moral conscience, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. Let's stand up. I've got verses 12 through 16, but like I always do, I'm going to go back a little bit. I'm going to the first part of chapter 1. And then I'm going to talk through that because it kind of makes sense with the section I have, verses 12 through 16. I, I kind of need to do that. So it says this, verse 1. It says, you may think you can condemn such people. And he's talking about all those sins back there that he just listed. But you are just as bad and you have no excuse. When you say that you are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you judge others Excuse me, for you who judge others do these very same things. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Verse 4, don't you see how wonderful, kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that the kindness or goodness of God is intended to turn you from your sin? But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But 
He will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil, for the Jew first and also the Gentile. But there will be glory, honor, and peace from God for all who do good, for the, for the Jew first and also the Gentiles. And then this, God does not show favoritism. Let's pray. God, we need your clarity tonight. We need your understanding. I pray that there won't be any confusion through the things that are said tonight. I pray you, Holy Spirit, as our sister said, as she led us in worship of you, Lord, may those seeds be thrown out and may they bear much fruit in our life. Thank you so much for your word, Lord. I stand on your word because it speaks of how faithful you are, Lord. You're faithful there. You're always faithful to us, Lord, and you will always be faithful to us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. He talks in that first thing about condemning one another, and what he's talking about is pointing fingers at other people. I think I got a slide up there on that. And it made me think of Jesus' verse, and the, or not his verse, but the things that he shared with the people around him, talking about a critical spirit. Because that's what was going on here. They're, they were condemning other people, and they were pointing their fingers at them. He says, do not judge others and you will not be judged for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of the speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? And he says, hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. He says to them, when, he, when they point fingers, and they're pointing it at the Gentiles, because he's talking about the Jews there. He said, when you're pointing fingers at those people, what you're doing is you're condemning yourself, because you're doing exactly the same things that you do. Christians, unfortunately, love to point fingers at other people, don't they? I'm sure you've had some fingers pointed at you over your life. I've had that. Christians love to kind of shift the guilt onto somebody else. I'm the president of my homeowners association, and I didn't really want to be that, but that's who I am. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, we have violations and we have things that, you know, have to go out to people. We had a guy in our homeowners association, and he got a violation. You know, I'm not the one that sent it to him, but he got it. And he came to our meeting. And one of the first things that he did was all of a sudden point fingers to somebody else about some violations that they had. He was trying to shift the blame off of himself, right? And trying to shift it on somebody else. He was trying to kind of deflect it, you know, off of him and trying to distract us as a board. I'm not going to tell you what happened to the guy, but he ended up dealing with the violation. That's what he did. That happens over and over again, and I've seen it happen. How about defense attorneys? Man, they love doing that, don't they? They'll take the focus off of their client, and they'll throw it up onto the victim. And sometimes, unfortunately, it works. It truly does. But you know what? Never works with God. Just because they're pointing their fingers didn't mean that God didn't see their sins and doesn't see our sins. He does. 
Paul said to them, look, you're just as bad. You're just as bad off as they are. And you know what I said when I looked at it? I said, you're just a big old sinner. Just like everybody else is. We're all sinners. Amen? Amen. Amen. God is righteous, though, but he will have to judge. He has to bring a sentence upon the sin that's in your life, in our life, in the Jewish person's life, everybody's life. He has to do that. And listen, pointing fingers at non-Christians doesn't erase the sins of us Christians. Just doesn't do it. Just like that guy was pointing that finger at those violations of somebody else, he still had that violation. It doesn't erase that. Jesus called them hypocrites when you point fingers at other people's lives. And Paul said, look it, God sees that secret life of sin that's in everybody's life. Sees every sin. There's not a sin that isn't hidden from God. That's kind of frightening. I don't like that. Do you like that, Jeff? I don't think you like that. Jeff's always talking about all that stuff shooting at his brain and stuff. I'm going, man, what's going on with that guy's brain? <laughs> but that's the devil shooting those flaming missiles. And the helmet of salvation keeps us from those things. Well, verse 4, he talked about that they needed to think about the goodness of God. And especially when it comes to the judgment of sin that's going to happen. Listen, here's a question. What prevents God from passing instantaneous judgment on a person. Because if God wanted to, he could strike you dead every time you did a sin in your life. He can do that. And if you go back to the Old Testament, it, it can be done that way. And you say, well, you know, God didn't always do that sometimes. No, he didn't. Because we're going to learn as you go through the book of Romans, God's a God of grace, a God of mercy. People of this world experience mercy every day because God doesn't wipe them dead. Same thing with us as Christians. Well, why? It says he's kind, he's tolerant, and he's patient. God doesn't want to punish anybody. I totally believe that in my heart. You know why? I'm a grandpa, and I was a father. I didn't want to punish my kids, but I knew I needed to do that. It deserved that. Sin deserves punishment. God is tolerant. He shows forbearance, and he's merciful. He is patient. How patient is God? Man, so patient, slow to anger, slow to anger. The kindness of God is to bring people into repentance. That's why God keeps letting it go and letting it go and letting it go. It's God's goodness. But look at his goodness, his kindness. And this is what happens is people take that as a green light to sin and sin and sin. We do that. That's wrong. That's wrong. My little grandkids, you know, I got two of them, and I've got one that's six years old, and I got one that's 21 months old. And that little six-year-old a lot of times looks at his dad and says, Dad, are you going to give me grace? Are you going to give me mercy? He knows. He understands that what he's doing sometimes, if it's wrong, that it needs to be dealt with. Listen, we're not supposed to abuse. We're not supposed to misuse the grace of God, and Christians can do that. In verse 5 there, he talks about the stubbornness of a man's heart. Stubbornness. And the unwillingness to turn. He's talking to the, to the Jewish and the Romans that are here. Listen, that stubbornness that he's talking about, it's, it's a hardness is what it is. 
And man's will, listen, man's will is at war with God. Man's will is at war with God. My younger grandson, 21-month-old, Jeremiah Thomas Jean, I'm watching that little guy assert his will over his mother and father. And when he comes over to grandma and grandpa's house, you know what he does? He wants to assert his will over us. Well, he's not going to win with grandpa here. <laughs> he tries. He really, really tries. Gets a little tears going down, you know, trying to get grandpa to let him get something that he's not supposed to do. Because you want to know something? Jeremiah Thomas Dean doesn't know what's best for him. And we don't know what's best for us either. And we want what's best for our little grandson. Just like our father wants us the best for each and every one of us. Sin isn't the best. Doing what he wants us to do, that's the best. And in man's arrogance, he thinks that the way, he thinks the way of living, that his way of living is better than creator God's way of living. Proverbs 16.25, we've got it up there. It says, there are a way that seems right to a man, but the end is what? It's the way of death. It's death. That's punishment. A person who rejects God's grace is storing up a terrible punishment, Paul says. God will render to all according to their deeds. That's frightening. It truly is. There's going to be a day of judgment. That's what he talks about here. He's talking to these, this church and saying, look, all this sin that you've done, one day, it's all going to be judged. It's the day of judgment. It's the day of judgment. And I was thinking, and when I taught this 22 years ago, I didn't see this in my notes, but I was thinking, you know, God's already judged mankind one time, didn't he? You know when he did it? The days of Noah. Days of Noah. He wiped out every person on the face of earth except who? Noah and his family. But you know what? The goodness of God, the kindness of God was there as Noah was building what God told him to build, the ark, to save. That ark was a picture of God saving mankind, a picture of Christ. Get on the ark of Jesus. 120 years the goodness of God was there. 120 years. And they still didn't repent. They still didn't get on the ark, get on the boat. If someone refuses to obey the truth, God's anger and wrath comes. It truly does. To the Jew first, he says, and then to the Gentile. To Christian, to non-Christian. Those who live sinful really open their lives up to a lot of trouble. That's what Paul's trying to say here, too. Trouble and calamity, external and internal trouble. It follows a sinful lifestyle. It opens, a, it, it opens an individual up to that as they live that way. Because what does it say? The wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ our Lord. Good stuff will come, he says, to those who seek after God. Good things. Good things. Glory and honor and peace. And then verse 11, just as we get into this next section, says that God doesn't show favoritism. You know what the ancient rabbis, I don't know if, if Odell, if you said this or you saw this when you were studying this, but the ancient rabbis, 
had a very amazing thing that they taught. And it's not really scriptural, but it's what they believed. Maybe as they searched the scriptures, and they thought it was, that he showed preferential treatment to the Jewish nation. And see, what the apostle Paul says, you're wrong. The Jewish nation doesn't get preferential treatment when it comes to judgment. Nobody does. Everybody will be judged one day. And you say, well, wait, 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 wait a minute. Yeah, I know. Jesus Christ is, you know, thank God for Jesus Christ in our life. Because that passes us out of that judgment. He's taken that upon himself. You see, God's standards, his laws are the only true standards to Jew or Gentile, to Christian or non-Christian. You know, we need to remember that God is a God who is a God of grace and a God of mercy. And everybody enjoys it every day. It's here. Because man is sinful. The gift of grace is, it's here every day for a person to grab a hold of. I grabbed a hold of it in 1971. You grabbed a hold of it when you did. And thank God that Jesus took our judgment upon him. Verse 12, it says this. When the Gentiles sin, they will be destroyed. I like kind of the New American standard. I think it's a little bit closer to what it really is saying here. As they'll be punished. Even though they never had God's written law. Okay, we're going to talk about it a little bit. And Jesus, excuse me, and the Jews who do have God's law will be judged by the law when they fail to obey it. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in his sight. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their conscience and their thoughts either accuse or tell them they are doing right. And this is the message I proclaim, that the day is coming when God, through Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's sin. The title, God's given every one of us a God conscience. Everyone. Everyone. Remember back in Romans chapter one, he's talking about, you're saying, well, there's a guy down here. He's never heard Jesus Christ. How is he gonna be taken care of? How God, I mean, he doesn't, it said what? In creation, all creation speaks of the glory of God. And if a person really wants to know God, he can reveal himself to them. The book of John says that. Jesus even spoke those words to people. If you want to know, he says, you will know. If you want to know me, I'll make myself known to you. God will show people, and he does show people. There is a God conscience. There is conscious. There is moral conscience in every person. Can you imagine this world without that? Think about that for a moment. It'd be scary. It's, it, it's here. It's in our heart. It's in our mind. We know what is right and what is wrong. I'm totally convinced that animals do not have a conscience. My dog, Tilly, destroys my backyard, chews up everything I have, digs up, and and doesn't care anything at all, has no remorse whatsoever. She doesn't. So I know she doesn't have conscience. 
She just does it over and over and over and over again. But there is that conscious that we have. Here's your table talk, okay? At what age did you realize that you had a conscience? At what age? I knew when I had a conscience. I can tell you exactly what I did. So I'll kind of give you a little hint on what's going on. I wasn't a good little kid, I guess. I was about five or six years old, and my buddy who lived across the street from me, I lived in Venice, California, when you didn't want to live down there, but I lived there, convinced me to go down to the market, Shanahan's Market, and go steal candy. And as we were going down there, and he's telling me and making me do I knew completely it was totally wrong. I knew it was sin. So tell somebody, what time? How old were you? When that happened, maybe a little short, quick little thing of when, when you kind of said, man, you knew when something was right, something was wrong. All right. Wrap her up. Good. All right. How many of you knew it very, very young? All right. Good. Some good stories out there? There's some good ones. Let me know them. I want to hear them. I'm still ashamed that I was stealing those things. And I tell you what, the bad thing, they caught me when I was putting it down there. Man, the guy just came around and got me. And listen, my dad was a cop. So that didn't even, that was, that made it even worse. And he knew the owner of the store. So not too good. (laughs) Not too good. Well, let's talk a little bit more, more about this conscience that we're talking about here. You know, he talks about the Jew to the Jew, and he t- talks to the, uh, to the Gentiles. Gentiles didn't have the law, the written law, but the Jews had that written law. The Jews were God's chosen people. Remember? Spoke to this guy named Abraham, and he said, hey, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And he took off, and he followed, and he was obedient to God, and We'll talk a little bit about Abraham as we continue on through there. And then this guy Moses came along. You guys remember? I think we got a picture. There we go. Charlton Heston, my hero. No, I'm just kidding you. But that's a great movie. And the finger of God, right? You guys remember that. The ten laws of God, you know. Finger of God doing them. And all of a sudden he comes down. The people are doing what? It's only gone 40 days. He gets back down. They're sinning like crazy. Gets mad, throws the stones, has to go back up again for another 40 days. So they had the written law. Just like we got the Bible, they had the written law. The Ten Commandments, and then there were 613 other Jewish laws that were there. From Abraham, as he called Abraham, to that time of Moses was about 430 years. So during that time, they didn't have that written law. All they had was that law that was put upon their hearts, just like he does to every human being on the face of earth. That conscience. Why did he give those laws? You know why he gave those laws? To guide them. To help them live a good life. I am. I want to protect my kids, my grandkids. It's very interesting that uh, Paul in verse 13 said that total, total obedience can make us right. 
and keep us from judgment. Think about that for a moment. I want to talk about that in a second here. Listen, obedience is a sign of relationship with God. Obedience is a sign of relationship with God. Paul says, listening to the law is not enough. You've got to obey it. Sounds like James chapter 1, right? Talks about being doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. When I read that Paul was saying, now, I could obey the law, I, I, I could be made right. In theory, is there anybody that has obeyed all of the law? Anybody? Yeah, of course there's somebody. It's Jesus. He's the only one. My wife and I were talking. She goes, did he do them all? You mean he did them all? She's, a the- she's not a theologian. And I said, of course he did. He did them all. If you sin one, you sin them all. You're not going to make it. In theory, you could do that, but no man has done that. But then all of a sudden, a verse came to my mind in Philippians chapter 3, where Paul's talking about his life, and he's saying, I was was circumcised the eighth day. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was blameless to, to the law. And I said, wait a second. What's he talking about there? He's talking about the ritualistic laws that the Pharisees did. You know, remember the washing of the hands and all this stuff? Those are the things that the Pharisees said that Jesus and his disciples didn't do because they weren't important. But Paul definitely broke the moral law. He broke the written law that they had and also the heart. Jesus really slammed the people with that because remember, he said, well, I never committed adultery. I never murdered anybody. And what did Jesus say? He says, you did it in your heart. You've already, you've done it. It's God's hands to punish you for that sin that you have. 14. That's what he says. Instinctively, you obey. Right is wrong. You know what's... See, that's what I'm telling you. Five years old, I knew that was wrong. My mom and dad didn't tell me not to steal because I hadn't stole yet. But as I was going down there, I knew it was wrong. And my buddy was trying to get me to do it, just like the world tries to get us to do all these sinful things. Many pagan believers or writers believed, listen, that there was an unwritten law in people's hearts. I found that out as I was studying. I went, wow, that's really interesting. They, they picked up on something that Paul the Apostle had a revelation about. Yes, but with God, man's Christ is enough. It's never good enough. Never good enough. The Gentiles are going to be judged not with the written law, but with the law that's on their heart. Society, guys, has distorted, and we're getting close to ending up here. Society has distorted the lines between what is right and what is wrong. This non-Christian culture that we live in is rewriting what is right and what is wrong. What is acceptable and what is not acceptable. And I'm going to tell you, parents, you better stay on your kids and you better teach them. You better teach them. Better teach them the word of God because this society is pushing further and further
away from that. That's that post-Christian culture that, that we're living in. Man's heart can become calloused, stubborn, like Paul said in verse 5. How does that heart become calloused? How can 1971, I got saved. 1971, I won't tell you how young I was, but I was pretty young. I was trying to figure out what I was going to do in the future. I was trying to figure it out. I, I, I didn't want to work inside because in high school, I, I worked as a box boy and all the way up to a retail clerk, you know, stamping everything, working in the cash register, made good money. I didn't want to work inside. And then all of a sudden, I remembered I used to love wood shop when I was a kid. I used to watch all of these carpenters and these framers building all these apartment buildings across the street from my house. They were my dad's friends that were in high school that turned into being framers. And I used to watch them. We used to go over and sell lemonade to them. So a buddy of mine, my brother-in-law, said, you know, I think I'm going to go try and be a carpenter. You wanna, I'm going to go take a test. You want to take a test? I said, that sounds great. Went down to the union hall, went in there, took the test. I became a carpenter. I didn't know what in the world I was doing. Show up, they give, you know, wait, I have to buy a hammer and stuff. And you know what I started doing? Started swinging that hammer, started picking up lumber like crazy. And these soft little hands of mine, Man, they started getting blisters like that. And they were worse than that. I had them across the whole bottom here, across here, and they would, they would I don't know if, I'm sure you guys, it's kind of gross, but, you know, they, they, they get full of, like, water and all that kind of stuff, and then you, you know, you swing a hammer, and then they just started ripping further and further. It was so painful. Painful. Man, it hurt me. And you know what I did? I told myself, I said, just keep swinging that hammer, just keep doing that wood, just lifting it and doing it. I said, it'll get better. The pain will go away. And you know what? It did. I got calloused. Those aren't my hands. But guess what? Those blisters turned into calluses. It didn't hurt anymore to swing my hammer. It didn't hurt anymore to pick up wood and to do all those kind of things. You see, that's how a heart gets calloused by doing stuff over and over and over and over and over again. And it takes a long period of time. So it's repetitiveness and it's time that brings about those and how people get calloused hearts. That's why this world, you know what I'm saying? If I would have kept stealing things, I, I would have became more calloused in my heart. It wouldn't have bothered me anymore. See, that's the conscience of God that he's placed in our heart. That's why it's a good thing. My little grandkids, I'm telling you, they know right and wrong. And you know that, parents. You know that they know that. I recently, and I'm getting real close to in, and I recently had to do a bunch, take a bunch of dirt out of my house, or, or my side of my yard and stuff. So I'm getting my pick out, and I'm doing my shovel and everything. And you know what happens? All of a sudden, I'm working the shovel, and the handle is going right in here. And it's starting to get red, and it's starting to hurt. You know, and I wasn't as macho as I was back then as a carpenter. And I said, I'm going to get on a pair of gloves. That's what I did. I put on a pair of gloves. I put on a pair of gloves. Because you know what? That pain told me you need to do something different. You need to stop what you're doing because it's not going to be good. You hearing what I'm saying? See, that, that's, that's how we get calloused. Professional criminals, you know what? They have no 
remorse. They have no shame. They have no guilt. Why? Their conscience is what? It's calloused. They don't know right and wrong anymore. And I think what happens to a lot of people is it does exactly what it says in chapter one, that God kind of abandons them over. You know, he turns them over to those things that they practice, whatever they might be. You know, we have these serial murderers and this kind of stuff. Wow, man, that's satanic. And it's also just kind of God, you know, just letting those guys, you know, do that. It's, it's scary. It's scary. They're so callous. They can't stop from not doing that. And God will judge everyone one day in that secret life that no one sees. To the Gentile, secondly, to the Jew, first. Paul says this to Timothy. Chapter 1, verse 19. Cling to your faith in Christ. He's talking to young Timothy, a pastor, and keep your conscience, what? Clear. Keep your conscience soft. Keep it soft. For some people have deliberately, what? Violated. They have violated their consciences. A thing that God's placed in their heart. As a result, their faith has been what? Shipwrecked. Shipwrecked. I've seen a lot of Christians that I've known over the years, and they kind of went the wrong direction, and their life is shipwrecked. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word. I truly do. I thank you that it speaks to us by your Holy Spirit, that you're always wanting to teach us things. Help us to not get calloused in our life when it comes to the sin that's in our life. God, you hate sin. Church, we, we don't understand how much God hates sin. Lord, help us to understand that. Help us to hate sin as much as you hate it. Help us to do the things that are pleasing in your sight, Lord. And thank you so much, Jesus, for dying for us. Thank you that you've taken the punishment for our sin. And that, God, when that judgment day comes, and it comes, you've already been judged for us on the cross, Lord. We passed from that. Thank you so much for that. Bless my brothers and sisters. May they go in your name, Lord. And may they shine bright in this darkened world. And may they stand, Lord, stand for your standards and be strong in that. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys and let's give them heaven.